Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello and welcome back to Stem Cells at Lunch Digested. I'm Jessica Sells, Public Engagement Officer for the CSCRM, and today I'm joined by Professor Oren Katz and Dr. Yonat Zur. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this is going to be a very interesting episode as you're slightly more unusual in terms of our normal interviewees. We normally have a straight scientist come in to talk, but you're also world-renowned artists using cell culture and engineering as a means of artistic expression. Could you please tell our audience a little bit about yourselves and how your work has led you to where you are today? All right, so thank you, Jessica, and um, it's really great to be here and it's really nice to speak to the potential audience of this podcast. Uh, we, we are not scientists. Um, I was actually initially trained as a product designer um, and then did my postgraduate in visual arts with a, a keen interest in, in life and how our relationship to the idea of life is changing and shifting. Um, what I recognized when I was doing my design degree, uh, which is fairly obvious now, is that uh, life grow, goes through extreme transformations and life becomes a raw material to be engineered. So engineers moved towards the life sciences, uh, especially in the last two decades. Um, and my initial idea was to look at uh, the potential of uh, designers starting to design living biotechnological products. And I found this prospect uh, very uh, exhilarating but also challenging and disturbing at the very same time. So I decided to continue my research uh, into this field as an artist because I felt that uh, there's way more questions that we need to deal with rather than try to jump into trying uh, to kind of find solutions or design living biotechnological products. Really, first we need to deal with ethical questions around it. Uh, So ask you not to to join me and maybe you want to so uh, at the time I was uh, studying photography and media studies and joined around uh, into the lab when we started to actually work with the material of life with tissues and my role was to photograph and document what is happening in the lab never had an experience of actually working with life but it was really uh, an amazing uh, opportunity and experience that we were uh, encouraged to learn the technique themselves and understand the possibilities, but also the limitations and at the same time the uneasiness that involved in manipulating life. And since then, the idea of you know representing what we do and move to the side, and it's more about uh, presenting and. Uh, as an artist, it's also to uh, get this understanding and experience um, and, or confusion as well yeah. to, to the audience to um, get them to experience in a more visceral way what does it mean to manipulate life? Where do we want to take life um, in terms both as you know, uh, engineering but also as a form of a um, cultural expression? Yeah, our technology of choice was tissue engineering, and we felt that this is something that needs more attention, especially kind of in the mid-90s, uh, during the, the real build-up around the Human Genome Project and the whole focus on molecular biology, we felt that there's also a need to engage in a much more visceral level uh, rather than the abstraction of, of uh, molecular biology, where you work with fragments of living biological systems that are alive, but alive in a different way than the original organisms from which they were taken. So our idea was to start and grow sculptures using living tissues. So um, you set up the Tissue Culture and Art Project back in 96, so that's quite early on the bio-art scene. Um, And what originally drew you to this concept? 
So, <laughs> you know, when we started, the term bio-art didn't really exist. Uh, we, we didn't know about any other artists who working with life mm. in such a way. Yeah. We are very, very fortunate uh, coming with this idea of using living tissue-engineered, or trying to develop those living tissue-engineered sculptures uh, as a way of exploring this relationship to life and uh, finding a scientist who was very willing to allow us into the lab and work with her. And uh, then we also uh, were able to gain access to, to other labs around. Uh, and the idea was to look at the notion of life as both the subject and the object of our manipulation. So the idea that uh, we now reached a stage where the level of engineering life reached uh, a stage of, of basically allowing a new palette of artistic possibilities, for better or for worse. So you can kind of start to engage with life, not just as a raw material for biomedical research or application, not just for engineering purposes, but as as an artistic palette uh, of possibilities, um, which is uh, quite disturbing and interesting and challenging. And um, the methodology that we developed was about this experiential engagement. So what we were really interested in doing is, is doing the work ourselves rather than looking over the shoulders of scientists and not just commenting about what's going on but actually being actively involved in, in doing things uh, to such an extent that apparently we became the first people to grow and eat uh, lab-grown meat. We grew our first piece of meat back in the year 2000 and actually in, but we were not allowed to eat it because it was in a biomedical research lab and then in 2003, we were able to grow and eat a piece of meat as part of an exhibition in France. Uh, and then in 2004, we were the first to grow leather in the lab as yes. well. Leather-like material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful what you wish for. Because <laughs> our, our work is very much about um, critiquing and questioning um, whether this kind of uh, technology will fix problems that we are, you know, trying to fix at the moment, will mend relationship with our environment that is currently in crisis. And sometimes this kind of critique and irony, we have a lot of humor in our work, is being taken away for promoting uh, yeah. certain technologies. literally rather than... Yeah, yeah. literally rather than... face value. Exactly. The other thing that I want to say that, um, again, we came into the field not from um, kind of... Uh, interested in in technology as technology and um more and you know coming from what is called this new media and looking at uh, digital technology and information and applying those kind of uh, metaphors mm -hmm. uh, to biotechnology and to life i think this is one of the problems that we have at the moment in this field that we come in with those kind of metaphors that are taken from uh, digital technology and applying them to life yeah. and to um so we come from a, a very kind of different perspective and i think it's you that uh use this kind of metaphor that what we're doing in the lab tissue culture is like advanced gardening <laughs> which is i think much more um appropriate because with life is a lot about or, or with you know living material it's a lot about being able to care and control um, those kind of material and through this kind of understanding and to some extent um, dialogue, if we can say, um, you can learn more about the material, but also learn more that this material will always surprise you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so how did you personally find, um, as being artists, working with scientists and the kind of the methodology overlap? So it's kind of, it's really interesting. Uh, initially, when we started, uh, tissue engineering was a kind of a fledgling field that was extremely interdisciplinary. 
even in that context, so there were material scientists, there were engineers, there were uh, biologists of different levels. So coming in, and especially with my background as a product designer, it kind of made sense. It kind of, okay, you know, my background was to, to design and construct three-dimensional objects. Uh, tissue engineering was all about kind of the, the three-dimensional growth of tissue and make it uh, functional in some way or another. Um, so the, the initial uh, relationship was was of kind of an exchange of, of knowledge, in a sense. Uh, but uh, we, and that's one of the reasons we later on set up Symbiotica, there was an uneven relationship, so we were always guests. We were always there asking favors mm. and needing favors and, 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 and doing favors in return. Um, and in many cases, the idea of artist engagement with those issues, uh, many people would perceive artists more as decorators and illustrators mm-hmm. rather than people who are seriously thinking about those issues and developing new ways of thinking about it and, new, and, and trying to make sense of it. Uh, so we would often have the... Uh, surprise from scientists that would realize that we're not coming in to design posters for them, but we're actually <laughs> sitting, uh, you know, and doing work under the hood and growing and researching. And this idea of art as research was an extremely important one for us. So um, we were very fortunate that uh, in the year 2000, two very important things happened to us. One was that we got funding to build our own research lab at the University of Western Australia, which we called Symbiotica, and it's still running. And the second one is that we have also been invited to act as research fellows in Harvard Medical School in one of the leading labs at the time of tissue engineering, and that was the Laboratory for Tissue Engineering and Oral Fabrication led by Professor Joseph Vacanti. So we acted as research fellows. Uh, there was mo- mainly for visa issues that uh, they apparently <laughs> were the first artists in residence in, the, yeah. in, in a research lab in Harvard Medical School. So they could only appoint us as research fellows and it was a really beautiful moment where the head of the lab said if that's what we appointed you to be that's what you are and you are, we're going to treat you like any other research fellow in the lab uh, which allowed us to, to have much more uh, freedom and engagement in uh, doing our own research and basically participating in the lab meetings and doing everything like everyone else uh, and with that ethos is something that we brought back to Australia with us for the establishment of Symbiotica where we basically made Symbiotica as yet another research lab in the school of, at the time it was called the School of Anatomy and Human Biology, that happened to do artistic research rather than scientific one. But there's always tension, and actually tension can be quite uh, productive. You know, we, yeah. we often would talk about adversarial collaborations where you would have very, very different concerns meeting with kind of... A, 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 in a place where we would have a shared interest in trying to solve a problem, but for, for, many, for very different uh, reasons. And... You know, this is the ethos that we are continuing with now. We, we, we don't compromise, and mm-hmm. we don't want the scientists that we work with to compromise as well, but uh, we, we find ways to work together and learn from each other. Yeah. A, this is very kind of poignant at public engagement with science at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's it's very important yeah. to not be just a single direction, but a multi-directional yeah. conversation mm-hmm. with the scientists mm-hmm. and with various um, versions of the public. But it's really good to hear that your collaborations with scientists have been similar in terms of the way that that's, that's moved mm-hmm. forward. I just want to say that to the point now, I mean, there is the discipline integrity, but also now it's part of our academic program. We have students who are doing PhDs or masters that have supervisor, one scientist and one from the arts. Oh, that's and really it's a, great. a very interesting way of how, you know, what kind of a PhD research you do. 
Um, and some are, I had one student uh, who had a couple of chapters that were fully scientific and were published in the scientific journals, and then other chapters that were more kind about the social aspects and the cultural aspects of, of the area of research that she was doing. And it was very challenging and very interesting. So how do you have those um, disciplined talk and collaborate and exchange and learn from each other, but also keeping this uh, discipline integrity mm. because, you know, there is every uh, discipline has its methodology that needs to be kept in order to make it viable. Of course, yeah, you don't yeah. want to dilute out any importance no. from yeah. either aspect. Yeah. Um, and so you guys are going to be working with some of the scientists from our centre, which we're really excited about and really proud to be part of. So could you please go into a little bit more detail about your uh, installation that's going to be at the Science Gallery London next exhibit, the spare part season. So, as we're working with living tissues, we constantly realise that it's not just the living tissues that are of interest, it's also all of the technological apparatus uh, that is around them. And, and there's one piece of technology in particular that we find interesting and is often being neglected, even though it's one of the most important scientific tools, and that's the incubator. And the incubator acts, in a sense, as a surrogate body to mm. keep those fragments of complex bodies alive and, and, uh, and well. And uh, we developed a series of works around kind of the question of the incubator. And then quite a few years back, we, we decided to figure out if we can kind of outsource the idea of the incuba incubator from what we perceive to be traditional kind of technology uh, where the incubator operates uh, to other life forms. Um, so... There are quite a few kind of converging ideas. Uh, one of them is that uh, we live in Western Australia and we have a bird in Western Australia which is called the mollyfowl that incubates their eggs in a mound of uh, compost. And this bird spends so much energy <laughs> building the mound of the compost and maintaining the eggs there rather than sit on the eggs and incubate them. They create this kind of external uh, incubation device which is basically based on uh, the activity of microbes that are, are there to break down other organic materials. So we decided to look at this idea of, of creating an incubator that is run by comp run off composts in a mm -hmm. sense and, and kind of rotting material that actually allows the heat to generate and to maintain the life of others in a sense. I think that the fact that the incubator is neglected is not so surprising. I can see it as part of um, um, you know, a feminist concern. That, yeah. yeah. And, you know, again, this whole idea of the genohype and uh, rather than looking at the, you know, the more kind of the vessel, if you want, that which these um, genes of these cells are growing and the enormous effect that they have on the a life form that is developed um, is extremely important. And that's part of the reasons that we are very interested uh, in the incubator. So this is one of the concerns that I think we want to bring into that, to try and look at, again, at um, get away from this idea of the genes and the information to a more kind of, um, a, 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 um, if you, you want to think about the external and the whole kind of interdependent system in which uh, life is developing. Um, and the second idea that is very interesting in that regard is, again, as a um, piece is titled Care and Control. Mm -hmm. This kind of interchange that we all have with all living systems, whether they're in the lab or um, outside of the lab, escaping the lab, every life forms that we are involved with, we need to exercise those, both of those kind of um, 
ideas and concepts, and sometimes, you know, to find the right balance in order to let that life uh, thrive is quite interesting. Absolutely. We should add this piece is part of kind of a, a duo, if you like. So it's a piece that is done in dialogue with the work of another artist that is based in Symbiotica yeah. called Mike Bianco. So yeah. he developed an incubator that uh, he, he's a beekeeper as well as an artist and a curator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he developed an incubator which is basically using the beehive, uh, which is in a sense is the external uh, body of the superorganism, which is the, the, the kind of the colony of the, uh, of the bees. Uh, to, to culture cells using the, the heat and the conditions that are being generated in the beehive, and that would be contrasted or, or in dialogue with our work, which is an, kind of an interesting one as well, in the sense that uh, it's an off-grid incubator, so it's going to be out in the garden, so it's not even going to be in the gallery proper, it's going to be in the courtyard, um, where we would have the cells growing um, inside, and, and relying on the fact that the uh, anaerobic uh, breakdown of wood chip tends to maintain a very constant temperature. So we're not yeah. even going to use any thermostats or anything else. We're just going to rely and hope that the bugs <laughs> are going to do what we, they usually do, and that's break down wood pulp in a constant temperature of 40 degrees Celsius, which we can then run water through and use that to heat up our incubator. So we are kind of... We don't know if it's going to work. We, we did quite a few experiments. Sometimes works, other times doesn't. Yep. We've never done it in the, in winter in London. Yes. So <laughs> we, had an issue. We, we did it in Perth uh, recently, and that was the beginning of summer, and basically it's overheated. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. that was more to do with the fact it was outdoors rather than even the heat that was generated by the incubator. So mm-hmm. I think that actually chances are it's going to work much better here in London in winter than in Perth in summer. So, yeah. But that's part of yeah. our work. It's experiments. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's research in yeah. progress. Exactly. Yeah. And just one last thing is that I think you can also see these pieces post um, utopic in case, you know, we're running out of electricity. Post-apocalyptic, yeah. Post-apocalyptic, yeah. <laughs> we run out of electricity, etc. You can still grow body yeah, spare parts. we can grow body spare parts. <laughs> <laughs> using rotting material. <laughs> we have, yeah, outdoors. We'll have to bear that in mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, it, it might become a permanent fixture exactly. here. It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank yeah. you so much for sharing your work with us. It's, yeah, it's yeah. absolutely fascinating, and I can't wait to hear about it in more detail in the seminar that you're about to, to give. Um, mm-hmm. And to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you go to the Science Gallery for the Spare Parts Exhibition starting at the end of February. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at KCL Stem Cells and on Facebook at CSCRM. Mm-hmm.